What I want to do is I want to start our time today with a story. I want to I share a story with you that I feel um, complements the section of scripture that we're going to be looking at. Um, it's, it, it gives context to the, to the section of scripture that we're going to be looking at. And I want to share this story, and it's going to take us back almost 2,000 years. The story I want to share is going to take us back to about the year AD 58 in a group of men that were sailing to Italy. This group of men, the purpose of their trip was for a Roman cohort, and that's a group of people, a Roman cohort, man, I can't get that word right, I apologize, cohort, to take a group of prisoners to Rome. They sailed, and they were sailing on, uh, sailing along to get there along the coast of Asia, and there were many ports along that coast, and they found themselves docked at a, a port called Myra. And it was at this port that they had to transition from the boat that they were on to another boat to, to continue the journey and make, the way, make their way to, to their destination. They were transferring ships. And if you've traveled anywhere before, you kind of know what that's like. If you ride the bus, <laughs> one bus isn't going to take you sometimes to the destination you got to go to. You got to get on a transfer. So that's what they were doing. And the Roman cohort was responsible for getting all the prisoners over to this next ship. And they were continuing on their way, but they ended up having great difficulty due to the weather. And unfortunately, they actually had to stop in a place called Fair Havens. And because of the weather, they lost a lot of time, and winter was around the corner. In the port that they were at, this place called Fair Havens, it wasn't the kind of port that you would want to winter a boat in. And I've never owned a boat and one of the reasons why I've never owned a boat is because I know that there's so much responsibility that goes along with owning them. There's a lot of maintenance and a lot of upkeep. And then when it comes time to put the boat away for the winter where we live, uh, there's a lot of maintenance and winterizing, they call it, to make sure the boat is stored properly. And the dock that they were at or the place that they were at called Fairhavens, this was not a place where you would want to winter a boat. But there was a man of God who was on the journey with them. And this man of God knew that further, further movement, further attempts to get to, the, to get to Rome, the destination they were going to, was going to be catastrophic for the crew, the ship, and everybody on board. This man, he had the respect of the centurion leader. This was the leader of the cohort that was responsible for taking these prisoners. This man of God had the respect of, of, of the centurion but it, we, we know this because of the way the centurion treated this man, but it wasn't enough to sway him in any way to not want to move forward because the owner and the captain wanted to get on their way again. They did not want to winter in the place that they were at. So there must have been a vote that was taken because the story indicates that the majority decided that they were going to move on and that is what they did. And what do you think happened after that? What do you think happened after the man of God says, listen, I feel in my spirit, God has warned me, we, we can't move on, but someone else or a group of other people have a, have, have a better idea that they feel and they want to move forward. Well, not long into the next leg of their journey, they found themselves caught in a nor northeaster storm. And storms like these hit the Maritimes during this time of year. They call them nor'easters. I think they're the same kind of storm, but they call them nor'easters, and they, they're high wind storms. They're violent storms that do a lot of damage. And we only have to look at the, the storm that just came through here about a month ago, Hurricane Fiona, 
to get an idea of the, the kind of damage that major storms can do. And then think about that, visualize that, and then try to imagine that you're on a ship in the middle of the ocean in the middle of one of these storms. And this will give you an idea of what, what it was that these people on their journey were now encountering. They're in the middle of this. This was the situation for these travelers, and it wasn't long before they lost everything. And they would have lost their very lives were it not for the man of God. God's man who was a traveling prisoner on his way to Rome. And it was only when those who were in charge <clears throat> finally came to their senses. By the grace of God, these men came to their senses and they relied and heeded the instruction of this man of God. And what it resulted in was the fact that they were saved. Everybody on that ship was saved. Not a single person lost their lives. But it was only when they heeded to the wisdom and the direction and the leadership of the man who was led by God. For many of you, this may be a familiar story. If, you're, if you know your Bible well, and if you know the book of Acts well, specifically the book of Acts in Acts chapter 27, you'll know that this is a story taken from that section. And the man of God in chapter 27 is Paul. Paul is an apostle of Jesus Christ, and it was through his leadership and his dependence on God that enabled the crew and everybody on it, the prisoners, to escape this, this storm and this catastrophe with their lives. And eventually, they ended up getting to their destination. Every one of them got to their destination. So you may be thinking, Sean, why are you starting with today's message with a, with a story from Acts chapter 27 when we're actually walking through the Gospel of John? And it's as I said in the beginning when I, I indicated I wanted to share this story that it's, it's the, the, these events, it's this situation that has happened that, that highlights two things that I feel are at the heart of our scripture today and what we're going to look at. It highlights two types of people that give us con the context we're going to be looking for. The two types of people are good leaders, good leadership in those who follow them, and bad leaders, bad leadership in those who follow them. These are two distinct types of people that always produce two distinct types of outcomes. And I want you to have that thought in your mind as we get into our section of scripture, which we're going to do now. So without further ado, if you have your Bibles ready, again, we're in John chapter 10, and we're looking at verses 1 through 21, and we'll read them together. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought, when he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him. For they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him. For they do not know the voice of, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Excuse me. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door 
of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I've received from my father. There was, a, there was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? <laughs> a big section of scripture, 21 verses. The heading of this scripture is called, I am the shepherd, the good shepherd. In it, Jesus is confronting conflict with truth. And it's truth that has to be resolute for us today, church, as we get into this. Because the conflict Jesus dealt with then is the same kind of conflict that Jesus in the gospel, in the church, in those who believe, face today. The conflict is no different. It's conflict that can be phrased in two questions. When we get, when we get to the heart of what we're dealing with today, and when we get to the heart of the outcome of what Jesus was saying, there's two questions that we, we can look at and we need to answer. The first one is, who is Jesus? Who is this Jesus, this man that is saying the things that he's saying and saying them with authority. And the second question is, what do we do with him? What is, what is a people are to do with this man, Jesus? It's a question that both non-believers and believers need to have answered and resolved if they're going to move forward in the directions that they're going to go. These are the questions we need to answer. And I want to look at commentary, what commentary has to say before we get into the real heart of the message, um, again, to bring context to what it is that we're looking at now. If you're not familiar with the word commentary, um, when someone says they're, they're reading commentary on a section of scripture, what they're doing is they're, they're, they're basically reading the studies that have been done by biblical scholars on sections of scripture, and then they're writing uh, for us to have knowledge about what it is that the scripture is saying, um, how we need to interpret, or how the scripture is to be interpreted, uh, why the scripture was, was said, and dates, times, places, all these different things. Commentary can be very important in helping us understand the words of God that we're reading. And commentary summarizes today's scripture as a contrast between the good shepherd, 
versus those who were shepherding Israel at the time. Those wolves leading people away from Jesus. It's a contrast between the religious Pharisees and Jesus and why those who follow him were doing so. Why those who were turning to Jesus were doing so. It's a contrast, which means it's two different styles, two different perspectives, two distinct groups of leadership. How did we get here? How did it get to this? It's really the result of everything Jesus has gone through in the last few chapters that we're coming out of. John chapter 7 through 9, basically Jesus finds himself in this situation and having this conflict with religious leaders because of all that had taken place during those chapters that we've learned about as we've gone through this walk in John's gospel. Jesus has done great miracles. He said and shown who he was for everyone to see. And instead of the Pharisees professing a revealed Messiah, the man, the God-man we've been waiting for, the prophecies fulfilled, here he is, turn to Jesus. Instead of the Pharisees doing what John the Baptist did, saying, I am not he, do not look to me. Look to a man who is greater than me, whose sandals I'm not even worthy to tie. Here he is, you need to turn to him. Look to him, he is the man. He is God. The Pharisees weren't doing that. They weren't turning people to Jesus. They were turning people away from Jesus. They were doing the exact opposite. And the worst part is why they were doing it. It's the worst part. Jesus knows their heart. He knows what they love and what they want. As God would know, as only God would know when, when he looks at his creation. He doesn't just have the ability to observe what's taking place on the outside like everyone else. We can all see, if we are blessed to have our vision, what's taking place before us. Jesus has the ability to see what's going on in the inside. And he sees their hearts. And he knows what's motivating them. And we motivating them. And we get insight into this when we look at scriptures like Luke chapter 11, verses 42 through 43, which say, Woe to you, Pharisees! You pay tithes of mint, rue, and every herb, but you disregard justice in the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Another scripture verse that gives us insight like this is Matthew 23, verse 13, which it says, But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You ni- for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. You're preventing people from turning to me. People who need me. Jesus knows the critics he's dealing with and he knows why he's dealing with them. But he's sti- and, and what does he do? He still tells the truth. Just because these people are are coming up against him, that doesn't change what the truth is. I like what uh, Ben Shapiro always says, this, this, this great debater. He says, facts don't care about your feelings. We can't change what the facts are and we can't change what the truth is so we, we should never not speak the truth. And Jesus does that. 
We're just coming out of a scene where Jesus is restored the sight of a man born blind, and Jesus is in debate with those who should know what it all means. When we read the first part of the gospel, this, when we read the first part of the chapter, chapter 10 that we're in, it's really Jesus calling a spade a spade. In the hearing of the first truly, truly, when you read scripture and you hear lines that start like that, truly, truly, I'm speaking the truth to you. You need to know that this is resolute. When we hear that first truly, truly in verse 1, the tone must have been one of frustration. I don't want to assume anything, but it's hard for me not to imagine that Jesus wouldn't be frustrated, and frustration isn't sin. I mean, have you ever been frustrated in trying to convince someone of something that you knew was true? And they're not getting it. They're not listening. And they probably sometimes don't even want to listen. You ever, you ever have that encounter and, and get so frustrated by it? Like, why would you do this? This is the truth. You know what's going to happen. For all you people nodding your head, I, I kind of get the, the thought that maybe your parents. <laughs> or or you, you have mentorship or stewardship over kids. Because if you're like me and my wife, we've definitely had this experience. And, and it doesn't take long um, as the kids get older to find yourself in these situations where you're trying to minister truth to these people. And they're not getting it and they don't even want to get it. But I'll tell you this. It doesn't change the motivation. Matter of fact, when, we, when I encounter these types of situations with my kids or, or anyone for that matter, it motivates me even more to share the truth. It motivates me even more to, to minister this truth. It doesn't deter me. And I, I definitely believe that without question, all we need to do is like we sang in that hymn, Calvary, it didn't deter Jesus. It motivated him to finish what he had set out to do for our benefit. Jesus wasn't deterred. And from the conflict found in our text, there are two paths for us to consider. There's a path that leads to destruction, and that path is led by thieves and wolves. And then there's the other path that is led by Jesus. It has Jesus shining the way, and it's our Lord, and it leads to salvation. We all follow one path, regardless of what, of what we believe or what we're going to think. There is a direction that we're all going to take. And it's this language that Jesus uses in addressing this current state that brings clarity, that brings the clarity and the truth for us when we, we look at this, this fork in the road that everybody faces and everybody goes in what direction they're going to go in. It's the illustrations that Jesus gives that we find in our section of scripture today that help us understand what's going to happen. I'm going to spend the rest of the time this morning looking at Jesus. I want to spend the rest of the time in this message looking at Jesus because Jesus is all that matters. There's nothing or no one else who is more important than Jesus Christ. And that isn't just for today. I'm not saying Jesus is more important than the Prime Minister of Canada only or the President of the U.S. or any other leader today. Jesus is the most important person in the history of mankind. And this is important for us to know. 
And this is why I want us to stay focused on Jesus now. In answering that first question of who Jesus is, he uses two illustrations found in our text to describe and differentiate himself from every other leader who's ever existed, from every other person who's ever tried to lead or exist. He first refers to himself as the shepherd. He refers to himself as the good shepherd. And it's interesting that he has to say good. Why? Because we know there are bad ones out there. We know there are bad leaders out there, bad people who call themselves shepherds but are leading people away. Jesus is dealing with these people. He, he's the one who protects his sheep from the wolves and those who would lead them astray and he keeps them safe and he has reason to say this. He has a right to this claim because of who he is and who he's always been. Coming back to John chapter 1, verse 1, I've come back to this verse at different times when I speak, and, and we're, we're walking through the gospel of John, and here we are going back to the beginning. We do because it's important. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him, not anything made that was made was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life, that life was the light of men. The word testifies of who Jesus is. And it's Jesus who made all things and knows how to lead because Jesus has been there, was there in the beginning. In the beginning, Jesus was there. He knows the Father. Jesus comes from the Father, and he leads us to the Father, and he's the only one who has the ability to do this. There is no one else. Any leader who, anyone who professes to be a leader may be able to lead you from one destination to another or from one, one thing to another, but he can't finish the leadership role that needs to be done that takes care of what's most important, and that's our eternal life. Only Jesus has the ability to do that. And in verse 7 of our scripture, Jesus refers to a door or a gate that only he can open. And it's only through that gate and through him that we are able to have fellowship with the Father and to be safe where we're meant to be. I apologize to the person um, the, the leader, the elder who's going to be preaching John 14, 6. I'm jumping ahead here, but it's pertinent for our message today. In John 14, 6, it says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That is plain English. That is plain text. I don't want to get into it any more than what it obviously says because it'll be spoken of later on, but Jesus is the only way. As it says in Acts chapter 4, verses 11 through 12, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, the Pharisees, those who are supposed to be building faith for a people that would turn to Jesus. This Jesus has become the cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no name, no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There is no name. Nobody has ever existed and nobody will ever exist again who will be able to take the place of Jesus or supplement Jesus or add to what Jesus has already done. It's only been done through Jesus. 
So who is this Jesus church, this question that we all need to answer and that we all as believers should be able to answer for someone who asks the question themselves? They're not a believer, but they're a seeker. Or they're not even a seeker. They desperately need Jesus. They're sick. They're separated from God. He is God, came down from heaven to die and to rise again so that through faith and trust in him alone, we can be saved. And that salvation message is for anyone and everyone who who receives it in their heart, who God gives the gift of faith to, to accept that. It is theirs. As the verses above state, there is no other person, no other leader, no other way. It's only in Jesus. The Pharisees of Jesus' day, they were thieves. They claimed to be for God, but they were only for themselves. They claimed to be people for God. They claimed to be people leading other people into righteousness and a right relationship with God. But in, in matter of fact, they were leading people away from God because they didn't recognize when they should have the God-man in Jesus Christ. They sought to steal those who were God's. They were stealing Jesus' children, God's children. They're like kidnappers. And I don't know about you, but every time I hear and think of a child being harmed, I get filled with rage. And I can imagine this is the, the kind of emotion that gets stirred up in God when dealing with people like these because they're taking them away from the truth that they need to know and the life that they need to receive so that they can live eternally. They're stealing these people from God and they lead them down their own path of destruction. They're wolves who just like the centurion and the boat owner from our story in the beginning with the apostle Paul and Acts, if they were to be followed, they're going to be led to destruction en masse. The multitudes. You think about all those, all those other religions that are preaching a false gospel, a false way. You can do this on your own. You just need to work harder. You can do this on your own. You just need to give. Be a better husband. Be a better father. Be a better employee. Be a better human being and you'll get there. Trust me. It can't be done. It's only in Jesus Christ. It's no different for us today, church. To listen to anyone who isn't leading you to Jesus, you can be assured that you're being led to death and you're being led to death eternally. Eternal separation from the creator who loves you and wants to be in fellowship and relationship and community with you. Following any other road is the road to hell. And I've heard this saying said many times, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. I don't know if you've heard that saying before, but there are many people who think they're doing good. They think they're leading well, but they're not leading at all. God certainly didn't leave himself without witness when dealing with this. In Christ, everything he said, everything he's done, everything he's doing in the Holy Spirit we can know and we have the ability to differentiate between the lies of this world and Satan and the truth of God. In Christ, we can recognize godly leadership versus the leadership that leads, ones to, leads a person to being separated from God and in the worst way, eternally. 
So like the hearers of Jesus' day, we're left with another question. What are we going to do with this Jesus? I'm here telling you who he is. I'm here telling you what the truth is. And it's never changed. There's this song that is sung by uh, a band that I I like. Um, uh, The band's called The Fray. And the song they sing is off their first album. It's called Trust Me. And uh, the chorus goes, we're only taking turns holding this world. It's how it's always been. When you're older, you'll understand. We're only taking turns holding this world. This is how it's always been. But there's been a message for every generation that's been most important. And it's the message of Jesus. And what are we going to do with him? As we come into fellowship with Christ and and as we grow in our faith, as we get older, we understand. And it's my prayer that everybody who walks in fellowship and in relationship with Jesus grows and understands the way, the, the truth that we need to understand so that we can be sustained to the end and so that we can lead others to Jesus because they need to make a decision about what they're going to do with them. For those listening to him, some said he was demon-possessed or insane. And this drives me bonkers. I just, I, if anybody's seen me get excited, maybe you all have, I don't know, but um, I can get a little bonkers, especially on a golf course. Braden and Lori know that when I, when I make a bad shot and when I make a good shot. But this, this is one of those situations where I just, get in, I, I just kind of get incensed or a little bit insane myself because... We have these people that are saying Jesus is demon-possessed. He's insane. And it makes no sense to me based on the miracles that he's performing in their very presence. I can't understand that, that Jesus would do something so amazing and so loving and, 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 and to breathe hope and life into so many people who witness it in the healing of a blind person, a person who's been blind from birth, and they would say he's evil or has a demon. It makes no sense. And this is what the religious leaders are trying to convince the people who witnessed it and are listening of who Jesus is. But there are people who can see through this. There are people who can see through this lie because it doesn't make sense what they're saying to them. They're having the ability to differentiate and say, wait a minute, this doesn't add up. Because there were those who could see the truth in Jesus as they professed that a demon can't open the eyes of the blind. It can't be done. Why would would someone who's inherently evil do something that is so good and do it all the time? Never change. The same types of things are being said about Jesus today, church. The same types of things are being said about the church, the gospel, Christians. The Bible's referred to as hate speech. If you've ever listened to what's happening in America in particular, a nation professed to be founded on the same promises that Israel was founded on. They, they claimed the same promises over themselves. In a matter of 400 years, they've gone from being a nation of God with the money saying, in God we trust, to being a nation that is broadly saying, the Bible is hate speech. We don't trust God and we don't want God as a part of our nation. We're under, the Bible and, and, and Jesus is under attack and Christians are under attack. It's happening all over the world and it boils down to this, what we're talking about today. It boils down to leadership. This is what it boils down to. 
the leader of this world is Satan. That is who is leading this world. And there are people who are under the tutelage of his leadership and they're leading people. They're leading people away from Jesus and they're leading them to death. And for us, it should be easy to recognize. We can recognize it. I mean, what is abortion church? It's death. It's the termination of life. All this immorality that we see, it's a perversion or a destruction of what God made and said was good. Relationships die, marriages die, people die as a result. Sin itself leads to death. We know this in Romans 3.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our our Lord. There's no love, there's no safety, there's no life in there. There's no life to be found in worldly leadership. Leadership that is outside of the will and the way and the word of God. Jesus said in our scripture that his sheep know his name. They know him. They know him so well that they recognize his voice over all the other voices and they follow him. How do you think that is, church? What is it about a believer that gives them the ability to recognize the voice of God and not just recognize it, but realize its truth and then walk in it. It's second nature to them. It's in prayer and it's through his living word. It's through the spending time with and leaning on every minute of the day of Jesus that gives them the ability to know what's true versus what's not true. I have to lean on that every day of my life with the struggles that I have. Struggling with anxiety, having panic attacks. This this sometimes is a part of my life. And were it not for the truth of Jesus, I'd have no hope. Because it's his truth that reels in my mind and brings me back, and I'm thankful for it. It's in this dependence on God through Christ in the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit that we hear the voice of God above all others. And it looks like this, church. A life that has the ability to discern good leadership from godly leadership. Godly leadership looks like what we find when we read about the fruits of the Spirit. We all know what the fruits of the Spirit are. Love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Leadership that we experience in Christ because of his great grace and whose faith is in Jesus. This is the eternal life. This is the, the distinction that a Christian gets marked with that you're able to say, that's different, that's true, that's God. Because these are the things that God puts into the life of a believer that differentiates him. These are the gifts that are lived out in godly leadership versus worldly leadership, the leadership that leads people to Jesus. These are not characteristics that we innately have within ourselves because apart from God, we're bad. It's not good. We see it all over the world today. But with God, These characteristics can manifest themselves in our lives because of the leader that we are serving and living for in Jesus Christ.
What does this truth kept in your heart look like? What does it look like to be lived out if I was to give you an example rather than just reading words from a page? I love what the, I love what the writer of Psalm 16 says in verses 5 and 6. This is David. This is David. This is what he wrote in Psalm 16, verses 5 and 6. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. This is the the life of a man living under the promise of a risen Savior of a God that he knows is alive and working things out in his life so that he can be in a right relationship and have that law in place secure. I want to read a famous uh, section of scripture for you really quick as I was was going through my my preparation for this message. um, I came across a, a great psalm that last night actually that really sheds light for me on, on what this looks like in the life of a believer. Here we have David again in Psalm chapter 23 saying these words that begin with, the Lord is my shepherd. Little theme here, right? This is what David had to say in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That rod and shepherd staff. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's a man led by the good shepherd. For us as believers, that's our good shepherd. And those words can be claimed over our life as well with confidence. I want you to hear that, church. I want that to sink into your hearts today. In Christ, again, our lot is secure. Our home is safe. When we think about a nor'easter or a massive life storm that's going to hit, your home is going to stand. Your eternal home will be secure where no thief can get in, no wolf can prowl or prey. Like David said, that's my leader. That's my God. That's our Jesus. My lot is with Jesus Christ, and I pray that the same is for you. I pray that you're, I don't want to say that we're betting, so I'm not going to say hedge your bet, because we know those who bet, they lose. We're putting our faith in Jesus Christ, and we're trusting him to do what only he can do and no one else. If there's anyone here now who who wants to follow the lead of Jesus, you've been following the lies of the world and now you want to live and, and, and rest in the truth of Jesus, I would encourage you to put your hand up. If you want to come forward, I'll pray for you. We'll walk into relationship with Jesus Christ together. You can come up to me after church or any of the other elders or leaders of the church and we would be beyond thrilled 
and, and, and praise to walk with you into fellowship, to turn from the lies of the world and the leadership and the destruction that they're bringing about to the life of Jesus, the life eternal, the path of truth. We would love to pray that with you. So I'm moving on, but like I said, I would stop if you came forward and I would stop if you put your hand up and I will stop before I leave here today if you want to pray. We're all going to follow someone, church, whether we realize it or not. And now is the time, now may very well be the time to follow Jesus Christ as your Savior and not be led astray anymore. As I close this message out, I come back to the verse one of our scripture today, the very beginning. Maybe you're thinking that you can break in. Maybe you're thinking that you can invite yourself in. Maybe you still have this belief that the life you're living, regardless of what I say or what anyone else says when they get up here and preach, it's going to be good enough. God will accept me. Look at what I've done. Look at who I am. Look at where I've been. Look at what I've said. It's only in Jesus Christ. As our scripture said, he who does not enter by the sheepfold He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. And Jesus said he'll do anything to protect his sheep from thieves and robbers. Our scripture said, so there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. Jesus has the ability to to lay his life down and to take it up again. And believe me, he has the authority and the ability to protect those who are his, the one sheepfold from any thief and any robber. Man, that is so encouraging and what a hope. Jesus conquered death for us to be saved and he done so for us out of his indescribable love and it's a love that cannot, nothing can separate us from it. I want you guys to know that church. I want that to be resolute in your heart as we come to the end of our message, looking at this contrast of leadership. Leadership that leads people away from Jesus in the end result and leadership that leads one to Jesus and the leadership of Jesus Christ itself in the life it gives. There is a difference in Christ. We have the ability to recognize the difference and then walk in the truth. Amen? Amen.